Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. Welcome to week two of the Crazy Stuff Jesus Said message series. We're glad you came back. What, what we find is that when we look into the most difficult sayings of Jesus, the stuff that just makes you scratch your head and want to, to shut your Bible, uh, that he said those things for a reason, because we needed them. And if we will stick with them long enough, they will go from things we wish we could ignore to things that bless and change our lives. And one of the ways that happens is when we encounter Scripture daily and pray through it. And that's why we encourage you to be a part of the Grow Through the Bible reading plan. We have that for this summer, and it goes along with each of these sayings and gives some context to what's going on. There, there's a scripture for every day. You can find that at concordunited.org Bible. You can also, if you'd prefer not to access it digitally, you can find a printout at the information center just out here in the, the lobby. And we even printed it out in pastel summer colors. So would encourage you to, to be a part of that. When I hear this passage, this passage is one of those from Jesus that when he says, love your enemies, the first thing I think is, don't want to. I don't want to do that, Jesus. Do you know my enemies? I don't want to. And then I hear Jesus say something to the effect of, be perfect. I think I can't. I can't. I, everything we're about to read from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says, my first reaction is either I don't want to or I can't. So the question for us is what do you do when you can't follow and you can't ignore Jesus' teachings? Because if we ignore his teachings, we ignore him. And we neglect one of the gifts he gave us to bless us and to teach us who we are supposed to be. So what do you do when you can't follow and you can't ignore Jesus' teachings? I think what's incumbent on all of us to do is to remember the Old Testament and particularly uh, the patriarch in the Old Testament, Jacob. Do you remember Jacob got into a wrestling match? And he got into a wrestling match with an angel. And even though I don't recommend wrestling matches with angels, uh, he got his hip placed out of joint in the match, but he kept wrestling. He just wouldn't quit, and he held on until the angel blessed him. I think that's what we have to do with these passages of Scripture, that when we can't follow and we can't ignore one of the teachings of Jesus, what we do is we wrestle with it. We wrestle with it until it blesses us. And it will bless us if we keep wrestling with it. So I want to share with you Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, or a very small portion of the Sermon on the Mount as recorded by Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 43rd verse. And then we're going to dig in more to how we can understand these. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you notice Jesus begins by saying, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was the common sense of the day. Uh, This was regarded as general wisdom and integrity was that you were looked up to as someone uh, both for your love of your neighbor and your hatred of your enemy. Hatred of your enemy in that culture was not seen as a character defect. It was seen as a character strength, as something that showed that, that you knew who you are and you would stand up for what was right and you wouldn't put up with what was wrong. You wouldn't tolerate it, so you would hate your enemy. And this was what was taught and aspired to. And Jesus says, you've got it all backwards. You've got it all backwards from the way God works. And yet, what we hear Jesus telling us to do, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, it, it seems so different uh, than anything we, we could ever do or we could ever achieve on our own. And you'll notice what he says is that if you follow the ways of the world, you're not really loving others. All you're doing is strategically investing. If you only bless those who bless you, if you only love those who love you, if you're only kind to those who are kind to you, it says you're no better than anybody else. You just strategically invest so that you'll get a good return on your investment. He says God, God's different than that. He said God works in a different way. And This way that we know in our lives, when we turn from God, what does God do? God doesn't turn from us. God pursues us. And then he calls us to be perfect like this God. So how can we do that? Well, since Jesus says our ways are backward, maybe the best way we can understand how this passage, how this teaching could have any importance for our life is to take it backwards. And to start with what he says about being perfect, to set aside for just a moment, because I imagine what's on some of your minds right now is, Pastor, you don't know my enemies. You don't know what these people have done to me. You don't know what they've done to others. You don't know how I've been betrayed. You don't know how I've been hurt. You don't know, and, and you're right, but Jesus does. And he's the one who said these words. So let's set that aside for a moment. And let's go and work from the back of this passage to the front. Beginning with his command, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, obviously, uh, perfection isn't something that uh, we can achieve entirely. Uh, I'm not sure, though, uh, that literal perfection is exactly what Jesus expected of, of, of us. If anybody knew that we couldn't be perfect entirely, it was Jesus. Now, I don't know that much about Greek, but I know people who do. 
And one of them is our, one of our retired pastors here at the church, Bill Kilday. And Bill grabbed me in the hallway today and said, this is one of my favorite passages. And he said, did you know the word that's translated as perfection can also be translated as alignment? That as being aligned with your purpose? And he said, here uh, Jesus is kind of saying, hey, your purpose that God's given you is to love. Uh, even your enemies, it, it's not to hate. And he said, it's kind of like if you have a hammer, but you need a screwdriver. A hammer serves as a really, really poor screwdriver. Uh, and he says, if you go through life without using the purpose for which you were made, you're going to live a poor life. But vice versa, a screwdriver also serves as a poor hammer. I have several broken screwdrivers in my tool chest to prove it, that they don't work well as hammers. You should take the time and go back to the chest and get the hammer when that's what you need. The way Jesus is using perfection here, I believe what Jesus is doing is, for him, perfection is a vision, not an achievement. Perfection is a vision of what we are called to, not an achievement. And even though he knows that we'll never literally be perfect at everything we do, what he came to do, what he embodied, was the, his life is the literal perfection of God. And he came to show us that literal perfection of love and grace that has always existed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from eternity to eternity. But we hadn't seen it with our own two eyes as clearly until Jesus came to show it to us. And he wanted to give us a vision that, that would guide us, uh, that, that would help us. The power of vision uh, was reiterated to me recently when I was reflecting on a book. It's by Michael Lewis. And some of you know Michael Lewis. He, he's written a lot of books that were turned into movies. He wrote The Blind Side. He wrote Moneyball. He wrote The Big Short. Well, one of his books that hasn't been turned into a movie yet is called Coach, Lessons in the Game of Life. And he talks about how uh, as a high school teenager, he was on the baseball team, and he was the backup pitcher. And they had an ace pitcher uh, who was so much better than any other player on the team. And so good, in fact, that that year they made it to the championship game in their division. And it was the final inning of the championship game. They were ahead 2-1, to one, and the other team had runners on first and third with one out. If you're not a baseball person, that means it's very close and you're going to need a really good pitcher in order to win the game. Now, this ace pitcher was on the mound and the coach went out to talk to him. And as soon as the coach went out, he didn't realize he'd made a mistake, but the other coach busted out of the dugout, ran to the umpire and said, that's his second mound visit to this pitcher. By rule, the pitcher must be taken out of the game. And Michael was sitting on the bench as an interested observer in what was going to happen in the last inning of the game. And suddenly the coach came and said, Michael, go get warmed up. You're coming to the mound to pitch in the most important situation we've been in all season. Michael was fairly terrified. He went to the mound. He threw his warm-up pitches. The team gathered around. The coach gathered around. Michael had never done much pitching in baseball uh, other than in situations uh, where there wasn't much pressure, where they were up by a bunch or down by a bunch or in a game that wasn't nearly as important. And he looked around, and on the faces of his teammates, he saw fear. And he knew that he was the reason. And then his coach looked at all of them. 
And his coach said, there's no one I want in the game right now more than Michael. He is a big game pitcher. And he said, Michael, pick the runner off third base, strike out the batter, and let's go home and eat dinner. And against all odds, Michael picked the runner off third base, struck out the batter, and they went home for dinner, champions. And what Michael says is he says that there was nothing about him that would have designated him as a big game pitcher other than his coach's belief that he could be, his coach's vision of what he could be. And by hearing and believing that vision, he received the power he needed to do what he needed to do. By seeing the vision of what God calls us to, it's not that we'll always live it out perfectly. If Michael Lewis had been in enough big games, he would have eventually lost a bunch of them. But we receive the power we need to live faithfully when we look at God's vision of perfect love, of perfect grace, of perfect relationship. And when we look at God's love that calls us to love our enemies, what we find out is that God's love is unconditional, not transactional. So much of our love is transactional. I'll love you, I'll express interest in you, I'll care for you because you will accomplish this for me. Because you will treat me this way. And that's human. That's not divine. That's, that's not how God is. God's love is unconditional. That when we crucified his son, God gave us the greatest gift we could receive in the resurrection of his son. Who came back to forgive those of us who crucified him, not to condemn us. That's, that's how God functions. That's how God's unconditional love works. And when you see it, it's so different from anything else you will ever see. I was reminded of this this past year. Many of the folks here at the church read through the Bible beginning in August and into May. And for some of us, it was our first time really digging deeply into the Old Testament. And several people came up to me and they said, you know, some of the Old Testament I understood and it was beautiful. Uh, some of it I still don't understand but what I see is that Jesus really was very different than anything that came before him or since. It's so different when you see the unabridged, unconditional love of God. And one person who made this love known in his life is Viktor Frankl. You may have heard his story. Uh, he was imprisoned in a German concentration camp in World War II. And in those camps, his family perished but he survived. And the guards had a hard time understanding Victor because by all accounts, Victor had lost in life. He was imprisoned. He wasn't likely to be survived. Survived daily. Uh, he experienced torture. And yet, the guards noticed that he expressed concern about them and their well-being. And he would ask about their families. And finally, they asked him, they said, why, why are you like this? You've, you've lost everything. Uh, you're going to lose even more. And what Viktor Frankl said was, you can't make me hate you. You can't. I have that power. You've taken away every other power I thought I had, but I still retain that power to decide what makes life meaningful and what makes life worth living. You can't make me hate you. 
I choose to love you. And nothing you can do can change that. And we go through this life and we think we have so much control over external circumstances. And so many of the times where we try to get ahead or we try to win, uh, that we think it's within our control and it's really not. He found out in a very painful way what really is within our control and what really gives life meaning. And what he found was that what he discovered there was able to give his life meaning and purpose and joy even with all he'd lost after he was freed and had survived the camp. And he created a whole new type of psychotherapy based on this understanding uh, that didn't just try to help people uh, cope with their problems, but helped people find out what's really meaningful in life and how can we make sure uh, that we're living a life of meaning that we desire uh, rather than just letting life happen to us. Uh, He loved unconditionally, and it's a challenge to us because when I hear his story, it's almost as difficult for me to believe that I could do that as it is for me to believe that I could be perfect, as, as Jesus says. It seems so far from anything that we could do on our own. But thankfully, within the Scriptures, Jesus has provided us not just what He wants us to do, to love our enemies, and not just not just why he wants us to do it, to be perfect like God, but, but also how. Also how we're, we're supposed to, to do it. Listen to this. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That prayer is how we begin learning how to love. And friends, praying for your enemies is mandatory, not optional. It's mandatory in the Christian life. And if we refuse to do it, it's going to have significant consequences for us. Now, I want to share with you that loving our enemies, praying for our enemies, is is not that we're commanded to have warm, fuzzy feelings about our enemies. I'm not asking you today to have warm, fuzzy feelings about Vladimir Putin. I'm not asking you to have warm, fuzzy feelings about someone uh, who has hurt you, uh, who has uh, caused all kind of ne- negative consequences in your life, in your family's life. That's not what I'm asking you to do. That's not what Jesus is asking you to do. Uh, love isn't a noun that connotates fu- warm, fuzzy feelings. Love is a verb. It's, it's what we do. A- and the way we begin learning to do it is through prayer, uh, through praying for, for that to to take place. And when we begin to place, to pray for our enemies, it's amazing how it changes things. I know for me, I, I have found uh, that when somebody has hurt me significantly, that it's amazing what happens when I will pray for them for a week, how differently I feel about them, how differently I'm able to act around them. It's more amazing after a month and even more so after a year. And there have been people that I've had to pray for for a year and longer in order to, to feel like I'm no longer harboring malice in my heart. Because we have the voice of Jesus telling us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And then we have a voice in our head. And if the voice in your head is like the voice in my head, the voice says, hold on to that resentment. Hold on to that hatred. They don't deserve forgiveness. 
They don't, they don't deserve blessing. It says, uh, you enjoy feeling morally superior to them. Don't put them back on your level. Uh, keep justifying yourself as good by thinking about and dwelling on how bad they are. Don't, don't give that up. Do you know how much you'd be sacrificing if you followed this Jesus and loved and forgave like he does? There's that voice. And then there's this young Jewish prophet on a mountain in Galilee saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be perfect like God is perfect, a God of, of unconditional love. And so much in our lives is about which voice we choose to listen to. You know, I got word a few years back of a family in our church, and they had a sixth grade son. He was navigating middle school for the first time, and that's a big moment in, in anyone's life. He, halfway through the year, he was doing well academically. He was getting adjusted socially, but they asked for prayer because they're going to the doctor because something was just off. Physically, he, he just wasn't quite right, and they, they couldn't put their finger on what was going on with him. Well, they got to the doctor, and the doctor looked him up and down and couldn't quite figure everything out. So they, they went to a specialist. They found out he had a back problem, a significant back problem. A back problem that if they didn't rectify could severely limit his mobility for the rest of his life. And they began to think, what's, what's causing this problem? The, the doctor said, we, we don't see this in people your age. We would expect this in someone much older. What's causing this? Well, he was a young man who really wanted to do what was right. He was very stressed in middle school. He wanted to make sure he got to each class on time. Now, his school had provided him a locker in which to put his books but he was scared that he couldn't get from one class in the five minutes allotted to the next class if he stopped to put his books in his locker. So he put all his books in his backpack and he never took them out. And his back just wasn't strong enough for that. And after about three or four months of that, he w was having these significant back issues. But he was never late to class. He was doing what he thought he had to do to accomplish what he thought he had to accomplish. And in addition to physical therapy, the solution was to teach him, you've got a locker. You've got a place to put your books. And if you're late to class once in a while, the world's not going to end. I know, I know that's kind of crazy. I can't even get down the church hallway in five minutes. I have no idea how our students do it. I, I respect them, them very much. But here was this young man who had almost crippled his body trying to carry a weight that he wasn't designed to carry when he had a space that was designed to hold that weight for him. Friends, that's what God's given to us in prayer. In prayer, God's given to us a place where we, that resentment that we have when we are hurt, that anger, that hatred, that frustration, that desire for revenge, God says, bring all that to me. Bring all that to me and then pray, instead of praying for condemnation, pray, pray blessings for those who have hurt you. That it's not that we're supposed to just bottle that up inside and forget about it and just pray for, for blessings uh, for, for others. It's, it's that we take all that hurt and we say, God, this is how I feel. I wish 
this would happen. I wish this. I feel this way. God, forgive me. God, heal me. And then we say, and God, this person who's hurt me, God, bless them. Just bless them. God, treat them the exact way I would want you to treat me in that situation. God, God bless them. And it's amazing what will happen. And it's amazing how difficult it is to do that. It's amazing how it feels when you've been carrying a load on your back that you weren't designed to carry and you're able to put it down. And it's, it's also amazing how it feels when you learn that the grace that you're extending others, when you learn to accept that grace for yourself as well. Now, it's also amazing how hard it is to do that because we've got two voices. We've got one voice in our heads saying that they don't deserve it. Don't you give in. Don't do it. Hold on to this. And we've got Jesus saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so much of what our lives are all about will be determined by which voice we choose to listen to. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we come before you today and we ask that you would help us to listen to your voice. We acknowledge the voices which tell us to hate, uh, which tell us to get even, which tell us to judge. And then we acknowledge your voice. Your voice which tells us to love, which tells us to forgive, which tells us to pray, which tells us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Lord, our desire is to listen to your voice. When we do so, give us through your Holy Spirit the strength and the courage to follow and to love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.